0: Hello and welcome to the Knowledge Without College podcast. This is your host, Patrick Butler, and today I have an amazing episode to share with you. I had the opportunity this time to speak with Scott Adams. Scott is probably best known for being the creator of the Dilbert cartoon strips, uh, but more recently uh, he has been uh, involved with the political conversation on Twitter. He has an amazing, extremely informative Uh, Daily Periscope called Coffee with Scott Adams, which you can also catch in podcast form. And he's also an author and a speaker. Uh, He's written some amazing books, some of my favorites of all time, including How to Fail at Almost Everything and Still Win Big and Win Bigly. And most recently, his new book, which he's here today to talk about with us, is Loser Think. And I just had the opportunity to get to the end of Loser Think, and I am ready to read it again. It was phenomenal, and I highly recommend you check it out. It is is good for everybody. Um, I had an amazing time talking to Scott. Uh, it was a real treat, and I am sure you're going to enjoy it. So please, without further delay, enjoy this conversation with Scott Adams. Hey Scott, thank you so much for joining us. It's a real honor to have you on the show.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: So, before we begin, I, I want to just say that uh, your all of your books have been absolutely phenomenal. And you know, I, I'm a huge reader. I love to read books, but it's very rare for a book to be an essential, important, required reading almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. The last time that I ever had a book feel that way was Win Bigley, and after reading Win Bigley, I normally or after reading any book, normally I like to move on to another subject, another topic, another book. But after Win Bigley, I literally flipped right back to the first page and started over again. That's how great it was. Wow,
1: that's that's just about the best thing you could ever tell an author. <laughs> yeah,
0: it really was. Uh, a, a, an experience reading that book. I loved it. And I am uh, equally looking forward to getting to the end of loser think because I anticipate a similar outcome. I hope so. So one of the things that I noticed about loser think to, and to give you a, a little context, I was out of town this week, got home just last night and this morning read the first couple of chapters so I could dive into it. And something about it is already standing out as much different than your average book. You know, a lot of people, a lot of pundits out there, they come out with a new book and they are usually just, you know, it's sort of something that just adds to their brand, maybe adds to their overall reputation. This seems a little bit different. This seems like there's a lot more purpose behind it. Uh, it, It's something that's addressing a specific issue. Do you want to talk about what the, the issue of untrained brains and how they're ruining America?
1: Well, that's actually a good insight, because uh, I'm at that point in my life where if something doesn't have a bigger meaning than maybe making me some money, I'm not interested. And the, the, the problem, of course, everybody points it out, is that the um, the country's more divided, the temperature's going up, everybody seems to be angry, at least on the political level. You don't see too much of it in the street, but politically. And that's largely because the business model of the press changed because of one technological change, and that was the ability to measure with great precision who was clicking on what. Soon as you knew that, you had to move your business toward what got the most clicks, and that tends to be really almost always the stuff that makes your hair catch on fire. So the news went from just reporting the news to reporting the news in the most provocative way, which causes everybody's temperature to go up. Now, I liken it by analogy to you ever uh, notice that when you're hungry or tired, you get really angry at normal things. But then, if you take a nap or you eat something, those same things haven't changed, but they don't bother you anymore. And I think that's what's happening. People's emotions are so cranked up by the media and by, by social media that ordinary disagreements seem like the end of the world now. And fighting they're fighting words now, where it used to be like, oh, that's weird, you've got a different opinion than me. Maybe you should change your mind. So that's the big problem in the country. And a lot of the the bubbles that people are sealing themselves into, you know, essentially walling themselves off from other opinions, is because they haven't uh, learned to think productively. And specifically, I noticed that people in different professions and people with different experience... Uh, I have either had uh, exposure to good ways to think or they have not but the problem is that everybody thinks they know how to think but it's more of a learned skill so the way an economist or a scientist or an engineer or a lawyer learn to think is is unique and if you haven't at least sampled from the various fields including you know artists and writers and historians lots of lots of different fields have different ways of looking at things but if you haven't sampled at least the the, the simplest high-level way that those people look at the world, you're, you're probably half-blind.
0: And it certainly seems that, uh, you know, if you go on Twitter, it seems like most people on there are half-blind. They're, they're very much stuck in these bubbles. Was there a particular moment for you that sort of inspired the, trying to address that situation uh, with this book?
1: Well, I wouldn't say there was one turning point. It was sort of an accumulation of uh, uh, basically looking at the profile pictures of my trolls. And when they made good comments that I didn't, that I didn't agree with, but at least they were rational, I'd click on it. It's like, oh, scientist, economist. And then I'd see just batshit crazy stuff. And I'd click on it, and it'd be musician, poet. And I thought, okay, that can't be a coincidence. So eventually the, the pattern became so clear that I couldn't ignore it anymore.
0: I, I think it's a it's one of the more interesting approaches I've seen to this issue which and really the most interesting is to actually address the way that people think and uh being able to create a a, a guideline for thinking like a psychologist or thinking like a historian uh I think a, it seems like a lot of people have never even considered these different frames and ways of thinking uh I'm I'm curious with your with your background in hypnosis. Is there a it w- were you able to like have you have you witnessed this sort of like pattern amongst people of not having a method of thinking, a way of thinking about things, and being able to you know give them new insight into way ways of thinking?
1: Yeah, you know, you mentioned uh, my book Win Bigly, and that, that's the sort of book that gives you a different window into the world. So if you thought people were rational, you were probably confused about why they did what they did. But once you read winn Bigley, and it's not the only book that would do this. Any book by uh, Robert Cialdini would do it. He wrote Influence and Persuasion. Uh, Daniel Kahneman has one that, that would uh, get you to a similar place. But mine is more, mine is more accessible, a little more fun. Uh, and the idea is once you understand that people are fundamentally irrational and that they rationalize their beliefs after the fact and don't know it, which, by the way, is backed by science and uh, all forms of psychology, it's a, it's a well-understood phenomenon. Uh, once you understand that, you see everything differently. And it's something you don't lose ever. You know, you're exposed to it once and it's just part of who you are then. You can see through that, that filter. And likewise, there are filters for economics, science, business, entrepreneurs, uh, et cetera.
0: Where did you, where were you first exposed to these different filters? I, I mean, I understand that you have a, you know, a long career in, you know, like just in corporate America. When was it that you started to, you know, accumulate all these different filters and, uh, you know, start perceiving, you mm-hmm. know, everyday politics with them?
1: So I also write about something called a talent stack. It's the refers to uh, starting with whatever you're good at and then layering new skills that make sense together. So since I write about that, it's also something I've modeled my entire life. So I always started out thinking, okay, how much can I learn that is powerful? And so for my entire life, I have been scanning lots of topics. I'm an economics major. I've got an MBA. I've uh, run several businesses. I've been an entrepreneur. Uh, When I worked in my corporate world, I did marketing and uh, strategy. And then I'm a trained hypnotist, and I've been studying persuasion in all its forms. And I'm an artist. Uh, That's sort of a sample, just so I don't drone on forever. But I have a unique uh, experience that, which is largely because uh, I'm old, plus I consciously add skills all the time. So if you add all that together, I had more windows into reality uh, just from my experience.
0: Got it. I mean, one of the things that I notice uh, that is, you know, pretty unique about all the things that you do, you know, I'm a regular listener on your uh, daily periscopes and, uh, you know, I've been tracking, you know, all the the projects that you've been working on over the past few years. One thing that I think is interesting about the way that you go about things is that in teaching persuasion, you're implementing the methods of persuasion and uh, being able to sort of try to pick those things out of your work is, has been a, you know, it's sort of like a hobby, honestly.
1: (laughs) Yeah. A lot of people say that, Um, you know, it wouldn't make sense for me to talk about persuasion and talk about how to communicate unless I were modeling those things in real time.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's awesome. Cause then you're, you know, you're able to see how much momentum you're gaining in implementing these things. It adds to the, uh, you know, to the value of that information that you're sharing on, you know, how to persuade and, and methods of persuasion.
1: Right. Examples are always really good.
0: Like w- one example I noticed is, you know, you talk about being a trained hypnotist. I think I heard you, uh, uh, recommend, uh, his name is slipping my mind right now. So I apologize, but a, uh, a hypnotist, uh, I read his book and it's called, uh, Oh, Ericksonian thinking or thinking like Ericksonian. Uh, and one thing that I noticed with your periscope is you utilize sort of, it's like an induction when you do the in- introduction to the, uh, the simultaneous <laughs> zip. Uh, uh-huh. is that intentional? Yeah, it's very intentional. Um, People people
1: like habits, and if you can uh, associate something pleasurable with the habit, it can lock it in. So since coffee is naturally, um, well, it's enjoyable by most people, and since I allow them to use any beverage, everybody's got their favorite beverage. And so the first thing is they're getting a reward for the activity of doing the simultaneous sip, as I call it. Secondly, people are very influenced by something called pacing. So pacing means that you match somebody. Now in this case, I'm asking them to match me, but it all works out the same. The, the important thing is that you're doing the same thing. Now it could be a physical thing like the sip. It could be the way you word things, your choice of words. Maybe you always have a certain way you talk. Could be your breathing, could be your posture. Any of those things are good. So the more ways that you can match somebody the more that they'll trust your opinions because it will start to feel as if it's coming from themselves. So if you set yourself as an other, you know, you're know you an outsider, you're not compatible, you're, you're doing your own thing, people will just reject what you say almost automatically because it's like, well, you know, I, I got my own opinions. But once you become them, even in a small way by pacing them, uh, it's much more easy for them to say, yeah, that, that feels right. That's me. That's you. We're the same person.
0: Uh, And I I love it too because somehow every single day that I listen to uh, your Periscope, I I get smarter, better looking, and coffee even tastes better. It's truly remarkable. (laughs) Yeah, those those are all,
1: for the listeners, uh, those those are the specific suggestions I often make. And you're absolutely right. Uh, Repetition alone would start to make those things happen. But when you, you combine it with the visual and getting you to act, Etc. It's very powerful. By the way, there's a sales uh, tip in all this, um, and a persuasion tip in general, and it goes like this: If you can get somebody to do something with their body, that was because you wanted them to do it. It makes them more likely to do something else. So you start with something that nobody would say no to, such as, uh, "Can I borrow your pen?" <laughs> you know, anything small. In my case, it's you know, uh, joining me in the toast. But uh, anything you can get them to do, as long as it's compatible and it feels good and there's no reason not to do it, it primes them for the larger requests. That's a basic sales technique.
0: I love that. Um, I, I own a solar company and we have door to door salespeople and we implement that technique uh, all the time to help gain sort of rapport with the with customer. It starts with something small like asking for a glass of water and then, you know, building up to, Hey, I'm going to put this big solar system up on your roof and save you a bunch of money. <laughs> so, uh, one other thing that I noticed about, uh, you know, in, in the first chapter of loser think that I think is so, uh, essential is you essentially provide instructions for how to use the book, uh, which almost, uh, you know, I never see that, uh, you know, in other other writings, and to be able to uh, use the book to have the outcome that you want to have with this new meme, this new word, "loser think." Uh, in those instructions, or I mean, do you expect that these instructions will uh, have the impact that that you're that you're seeking? Do you think it will uh, result in? the proper implementation of these of these methods?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm already seeing people uh, do it. Specifically, I tell them in the book to uh, just take a picture of any page with their phone, and at least uh, specifically the pages that would address any trolls or bad thinkers online, and just paste the page there. And the idea is that, um, because I'm a professional writer, and I'm a trained persuader, in all likelihood, I'm going to express an idea better than the average person that's That's why I get to write books and why you're interviewing me. so it just makes sense if they're thinking the same thing and they believe the same thing you know why not defer to somebody who already wrote it and just take a photo and snap it into your reply on Twitter and you're done and Yes, people are already doing it.
0: yeah, it's really exciting to see sort of this uh, this take off even in the past few days since uh, you know, since the book's release, so I'm excited to see sort of the the ramifications of this down the road, uh, especially when it comes to the upcoming election. Uh, I find the timing of the you know the publication of this you know I, I imagine with your interest in politics and with uh, you know your daily commentary on it that this book is somehow intended to address uh, you know the division issue in America as it relates to the upcoming election. Have you what was sort of your imagined future, if this book has the impact that it should, uh, on the upcoming election?
1: Well, I wasn't thinking of it so much as uh, changing the result of the election. I was thinking of it in terms of allowing people to have more civil conversations, um, and, or at least allow people to identify when the people they're, they're arguing with have gone off the rails and are using an, an argument that just doesn't make any sense. So it's partly a tool, so you can debate better, and uh, ideally, just by pointing out the flaws in other people, as in, hey, that's an example of loser think, here's the page that describes it, it should, over time, essentially mock people into conformance, and mockery is a very powerful tool in society. People really don't like to do things that would make them the subject of mockery, and Uh, a lot of the way I write is, you know, somewhat inadvertently mocking. (laughs) So if somebody uh, puts a page from my book and it's the right page, it talks about the topic that somebody was uh, addressing poorly, they're going to feel like they got mocked in public. And uh, mocking people for no reason is just being a jerk. But if you're actually making the conversation more productive and healthier, I think a little mocking could go a long way.
0: Besides uh, seeing the you know posts on Twitter, are there any other methods of measuring the impact of loser think and the more the people sort of implement the uh, the teachings within?
1: Well, the real test will be the word itself. So, since I made up the word loser think, it's all it's all one word loser think. Um, what I'm looking for, and I knew this ahead of time, I'd be looking for other people to use it in the wild. Uh, now they might they might use it incorrectly because the actual definition has nothing to do with just a bad argument in general. It's about specifically a blind spot in your thinking that's caused by not being exposed to the way people think in different fields. So if you've got a blind spot there, you're just normal. You know, you're not ignorant, you're not stupid. It has nothing to do with the person. It's just something about their experience that has a couple of gaps. So, uh, If I see loser think as a word, just start popping up on Twitter and social media, or maybe somebody in the news throws it out there, then I'll know that I've sort of gotten in people's heads. And even though people are using the word incorrectly, a lot of people just read the title of the book and thought they knew what it meant. Hey, it's another insult. Uh, But even that's good, because in the long run, other people will correct them, which I'm already seeing. Uh, And as long as the word is sticky, it makes the content sticky because it's hard to separate the word from the content entirely.
0: I I find that just the entire idea of creating a new vocation, like a new word for people to use and a new word to uh, sort of guide some of the discourse that people have about politics and just general disagreements. I think that whole, like planting that seed as a conscious act is just such a cool thing to do. Uh, <laughs> where where did you get that where did you even get the idea to do that to create a meme like that
1: Well the first time it happened for me it was accidental because when i created the dilbert comic dilbert became a word that sort of transcended the comic character so a dilbert policy everybody knows what that is in fact in, in the book i talk about how elon musk once sent out a little memo to his staff to tell them what the corporate culture requires for a, a healthy corporate culture, and one of the rules that he wrote was uh, don't do anything that would make it into a Dilbert comic, and the beauty of that was that uh, everybody knows what that means, so you don't need a lot of examples, doesn't require a lot of explaining, and it also carries with it the, the, uh, the threat, if you will, that if you did, you would be mocked. <laughs> Not maybe, <laughs> maybe by me in a comic, but certainly by other people who said that's a very Dilbert-like thing you're looking to do there. So the fact that that word existed, Dilbert, sort of weaponized the whole amorphous bunch of bad management things that everybody sort of reflexively says, oh yeah, that's a Dilberty thing right there. So I've seen it work before. And as I was thinking about a title for the book, I thought, well, you know, maybe I can organize all of these, you know, very different kinds of uh, tips and suggestions that come from different fields with a word. And if it works, then people will be able to say in the future, well, I don't know exactly what chapter it was or what Scott called it in the book, but I know it when I see it. And that's loser think. Do you,
0: uh, did you ever imagine a future where the, you know these teaching on how to think will eventually make it into like our whether our school systems or universities uh understanding persuasion do you see that in the future or do you see it as still as always sort of being this maybe it's sort of like a, a uh un, ambiguous undefined course <laughs> um
1: i wrote my uh, the the most recent three books are all written partially with the thought in mind that they're very applicable to colleges and in some cases high school, because it's all the stuff I wish I knew. You know, part of the reason that I could write this book is that I'm not 25. You know, if I'm 25, I don't know enough yet. I haven't haven't seen enough. So I thought, wouldn't it be great to have the knowledge that I have now, but, you know, to have it when I'm 19? And I thought, well, maybe if I write these books and I do a good job, Teachers will uh, start recommending them, building them in the, in the curriculum. And I, I think they're sort of ideal for that.
0: I, I agree. And and as a 25-year-old myself, you know, I'm, I'm a, super appreciative of having these tools available because it's like getting a, a college course in a couple hundred pages that, you know, once learned, once uh, understood, it's, it's essentially a, a talent of its own to add to my talent stack.
1: Yeah, I get a lot of feedback from people in your age group who are saying some version of, oh my God, I started using something I, I learned in one of these books and you know, I got a raise, I lost 80 pounds. These are real things, people. I lost 80 pounds. Uh, a whole bunch of people lost tons of weight. It was based on my first of the three books. I had to fail at almost everything and still win big. People got, you know, just incredible stories I'm hearing all the time. and uh, they credit the the methods that they picked up in the books, and that means a lot to me.
0: It, it and you know I, I'll just add on uh, how to win or how to fail at almost everything is still win big is also another favorite of mine. It's it's a phenomenal book that for any young person who is you, you know like this is the knowledge without college podcast because I believe that knowledge is more accessible now than ever before, and a lot of people you know you don't have to go through the Uh, super regimented, uh, overly structured college system to get the information you need to succeed in life. And that book is essentially an encapsulation, a a, uh, perfect example of the kind of information that you can use to be successful no matter what uh, without any credentials, degree, or anything.
1: Yeah, it used to drive me crazy that um, nobody was ever taught strategy when they're young. You learn facts and some skills, but nobody tells you strategy. What's what's the strategy for building a good life? And I, and I would obsess about the fact, especially let's say you're a um, you're a, a black student in some depressed area, of some city. Who exactly are you going to for your advice? You know, which do you do you know people who have built businesses? You know, in some cases, obviously yes. But do you have enough mentors and connections? And where would you ever learn how to piece a life together? And so I thought, you know, if I, can, if I can eventually get this book, the How to Fail book, uh, popular enough to reach down into the communities where they're, they're not getting any information from, let's say, adults who have gone before and succeeded, uh, I thought that would be a, a huge benefit to society. And then this book, uh, The Loser Think, the one that's just out, uh that that should have similarly good benefits for people who don't want to spend a lifetime figuring out how to think
0: yeah it's it's essentially a massive shortcut for young people to be able to have the the right way of thinking and uh, you know one other area that you, you've t- talked about a lot is is this idea of a golden age so that it, in a world where people know how to f- how to think uh, and to get out of these bubbles and to communicate more successfully with people who disagree with them, that there's a golden age on the other end of the rainbow there. How, how do you imagine a golden age uh, looking? Like, how does that uh, look or feel to you in the future? Well, the, uh,
1: the specifics are hard to predict, but the, the, the general trends seem clear. One thing I would expect is that crime will almost disappear. And the reason is that privacy is disappearing. And I think people will be surprised that the coming generations, and I guess you're, I would say you're, um, certainly you're on the leading edge of what I'm going to say, but down to the age of 14, it's far more true, which is they don't care about privacy. You know, they'll, they'll let all of their friends track them. Uh, If you talk to a kid, a 14-year-old, and you say, uh, do you track your friends on the Snap map where you can always see where your friends are? They'll open it up and they'll show you all their friends where they are all the time. And and they have no problem with that, complete lack of privacy. So that plus the fact there'll be cameras everywhere, plus we'll have everybody's DNA sooner or later. We're going to get to the point where It's literally just impossible to get away with any of the major crimes, so that should trend towards zero eventually. Uh, Then you've got energy. Uh, A lot of people don't know that there's a whole lot going on in the nuclear power field. Uh, I like to use the example of Bill Gates, who's invested massively in a company called TerraPower. Now there are other startups doing similar things, but they're developing what's uh, what's called sort of generally generation four nuclear designs. And what's different about these designs, and they're all a little bit different, but some of them have this quality, that they actually eat existing nuclear waste as their fuel. So these are nuclear reactors that will decrease the amount of nuclear waste in the world. And they're designed so that if everything goes wrong, they just stop working. They don't melt down. uh, Like current reactors, Uh, if things go terribly wrong, they can Meltdown. Although it's worth saying that even the, the current generation of reactors, as, as old as they are, Generation 3, I believe has never had a meltdown. So even the existing ones, that there, and there are a lot of them, have no meltdowns. All the problems you've heard of, all the, all the famous ones, were the design before that with known flaws, uh, and, and some, sometimes pretty obvious ones. In the case of Fukushima, they put their backup reactors below sea level in a tsunami place, <laughs> you, know, you don't have to be an engineer to know that if you you, you would have a uh, a meltdown if you lost power. But they say, ah, no problem. We'll put all these backup generators, and they'll last long enough that we can fix whatever the power problem was. It's a good idea until you put them below your seawall. <laughs> the tsunami. The tsunami took those out first. Now, what, you don't have to be an engineer to know that. The problem was not nuclear power. <laughs> the, power the, the, the problem was who the heck did that? It had nothing to do with the nuclear power. It was just dumb. So uh, once you learn more about nuclear, you see that the potential is enormous. At the moment, it's still expensive, but Generation 4 looks to solve that as well because they will make them smaller and modular, and you know, they'd use the same parts, and you'd make lots of them of the same design, and you know, it just drives down the price over time. So, uh, as soon as you have a free, not free, but abundant, very cheap energy, that helps the poor. But also, if you had to remediate anything, you're going to need a lot of energy. You know, if, if water needs to be, I, I guess that's a bad example, but uh, I was going to say if you needed to pump water onto something or move something or relocate something, it's all energy intensive. And if you've got better energy, you can respond better. Then you take uh, healthcare. Uh, I happen to have uh, been involved with some startups coming out of the University of California, Berkeley. And so I got to see a lot of technology that the public doesn't know is in the pipeline. You know, startups who have actually built devices. And I saw, in fact, invested a few, um, some tabletop devices that can test your skin for cancer in minutes right there in the office. They can uh, test your blood, you know, in minutes right there in the office, Um, and and a whole bunch of stuff that's miniaturized, and now the the need for a lab will disappear. We're adding adding, uh, devices to our smartphones that can check everything from your, I don't know, your oxygen to your heartbeat to your blood to your whatever. Uh, I would imagine that it will become routine that, for example, your toilet will be checking your urine and checking your your other stuff, and catching stuff early, you know. And and at the the moment, I already do most of my um, medical stuff by email. I just email my doctor, get a response in an hour, and they'll say, yeah, that looks good, or send me a picture of that suspicious mole. Uh, And it's just email. It's the easiest thing in the world and obviously less expensive. I don't even think the doctor sees the easy stuff. I think an assistant handles all the easy stuff. Um, So a lot of stuff is trending uh, in a very insanely positive direction. I think you'll see uh, housing um, have some options for building very low-cost homes. They may be in kit form. They might be 3D printed. might be combinations. But there's a whole bunch of stuff happening that could drive down the cost of a high-quality life to uh, very low. So even if you lose your good job to a robot, well, maybe you can work for half the money and still have a really nice life if you design the community and and the housing just right. So I figure almost everything is trending positive because if you look at history, almost everything has always trended positive. The, The amount of poverty in the world, extreme poverty, in the 60s was just crazy. I forget what the number was, 30% or something like that, of people who were in extreme poverty. That might be high, but it's a shocking number in the 60s were in extreme poverty around the world. And now that number is close to disappearing. You know, it's, it's in the single digits, I believe. And that's enormous. It's just this gigantic progress moving forward that you don't see every day because it's a little bit every day. Um, So that plus drones um, are going to change the world in some positive ways. I would imagine self-driving cars will make it uh, easier to get anywhere because you'll have, I don't know, maybe 20% as much traffic because you'll be able to share self-driving Uber-type cars. So I would say just about everything is almost certainly going to be substantially better in the future.
0: I I think that's – it's – Awesome to see the trends and to observe these trends uh, as they develop new amazing technology for people to use that makes our lives a lot whether it 's easier or better uh, and it, what I think is or what I think we're noticing is that our psychology hasn 't really caught up with with the technological growth you know as as uh, as our technology expands and uh, the way that we communicate with each other is 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 you know, expanding and changing our our own internal psychology has not been updating, and so I, I sort of look at your book "Loser Think" it's almost like it's like a software update to for for communication in the twenty first century.
1: It's uh, it's exactly that. Um, that. That's actually probably the best descriptor I've heard. For example, I add the um, I talk about the forty eight hour rule and the twenty year rule. And those are only necessary because of technology. Now, the 48-hour rule is if you, if you tweet something stupid or offensive, I just say, let's give everybody 48 hours to apologize or clarify. And once they've done it, if it's a real apology and a, a real clarification, or even if you think it's not sincere, it's just better to accept it. You know, similar to the way your friend shows up late for lunch and says, oh, traffic was bad, and you're thinking to yourself, no, it wasn't. You left late just like you always do. You're late for everything. It's not traffic, but that's not what you say. You say, well, I'm glad you made it. So that's the way manners work. You don't have to believe the other person sincere. It still is a better world if you, if you apply some manners. So the 48-hour rule says, let's just get over it. You know, somebody said something offensive. They apologized. I don't need to know their inner thoughts, I just wanted an apology that, uh, to show that they, they know what, they, what it should have been, you know, what, how they should have acted. That's good enough. Then the 20-year rule uh, recognizes that we're creating permanent records of ourselves practically since birth with social media. And you're a different person than you were 20 years ago. Well, you're, you're a very different person. <laughs> but we're all completely different humans 20 years later, and you wouldn't want to know me at 19. Uh, But I I like to think that I've steadily improved, and that would be true of most people. We become better people over time if we're we're paying attention to it. So I just say if something happened more than 20 years ago and it wasn't, I don't know, murder or pedophilia or something that's that's, uh, harder to forgive, if it was just bad behavior and it's more than 20 years ago, let's just let it go. It was a different person. So those are... Uh, two perfect examples to your uh, software update because the world changed, but the software didn't. So that's what I'm suggesting. Exactly.
0: Sounds like uh sounds like some early subject matter for a new book on, <laughs> on 21st century manners. That's not a bad idea, except
1: I use some of my good stuff already in this book.
0: <laughs> I'm sure you'll keep coming up with it though. I, somehow I, I have, I have confidence in that. Um, I would like to, uh, just make or give a little bit of feedback for something that I found incredibly helpful that you did recently, which was uh, when you invited a a critic onto your Periscope and had that debate with them. Uh, I have to say that was one of my favorite episodes. I know you asked for some feedback and the reason why was because it gave a real exam, real live example of how to properly debate somebody using the methods that you teach, which I think for a lot of people is like the, you know, cherry on top of what, you know, after reading the book, seeing it happen live really helps.
1: Yeah. You know, a lot of people uh, really enjoyed that. And I didn't know how that would go because, you know, it could, it could have failed terribly. But uh, one of the things I teach is don't stop doing something because you think it's going to embarrass you or fail yeah you have to get past that, otherwise, you're going to be stuck in your little bubble and you're just gonna do what you've always done. But I thought, well, what's the worst that can happen uh, I'll lose the debate, I'll embarrass myself, but my coffee will still taste good, and I'll still be <laughs> alive and I'll forget it in a day
0: yeah and and it was it was great because uh you know I think for a lot of people, you know what where're the real uh implementation of your, your teachings are is within their friend group or with their family, you know, their immediate family. You know, I look at like my own family is pretty divided politically. And I imagine that that's a representation of like the entire country because if I can't convince, let's say my sister on uh, a certain political issue, it's probably the same reason why a lot of people aren't being convinced of things. So to be able to have the tools and and the uh, to be able to visualize and see and hear an effective debate where you can find agreement and find uh, common ground. It's uh, super helpful.
1: Yeah. By the way, one, one of the things I like to tell people is that when I find myself in a disagreement with someone who also has a background in economics, we almost always chase the dis- disagreement down to a, a difference of some assumption or a difference of a fact so it's always depersonalized when you're talking to somebody who has the same skill set and it happens very quickly it's like i think this i think that where's your source there's this, here's your source what's your assumption okay i see where we got the difference so I, I just try to teach people the the shortcut for that as well
0: yeah i i know that as well in in loser think it's it's giving people the confidence to uh to look at things and say, like, this is not too complicated for me to understand. If it's being framed as too complicated for me to understand, there's 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 something wrong with that.
1: <laughs> well, sometimes things really are too complicated to understand, but the but it gets worsened when somebody tries to explain it and can't do it. And and they add some complexity. So lots of times it's just the way we communicate is poor.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you know your your sort of public pursuit to you know, pick apart the climate change, uh, you know, the both sides of the climate change. I also found that very, very helpful because, you know, you can sort of see, like, if I can't, like, wrap my head around this one way or the other, how is the average person or how is the, you know, how is the general public handling these facts?
1: Yeah, and for the benefit of the listeners, where I came down on climate change is that uh, it's impenetrable. But I would trust that the scientists, I mean, it's impenetrable for a non-scientist. You, you really can't do your own research. It's just too deep and uh, too difficult. Uh, I, tried a lot. I tried for about a year. Didn't get anywhere near understanding it. But I do trust that the scientists probably have a good grasp on the, the chemistry and the physics. I'm sure they're true. They're, they're correct that adding CO2 can uh, raise the temperature. Where I have a disagreement is where they take that into complicated prediction models, and then the next step is where it gets real dicey, where they add an economic model on top of the projections. And the economic models over 80 years are just absurd. And anybody who studied economics, anybody who did any kind of uh, long-term planning would just laugh at the fact that anybody would even think you could do an economic projection over 80 years. I mean, you don't know what kind of robots, nuclear wars... Uh, to developments, changes. We could all be cyborgs by then. We could have fusion power and flying cars. It's just impossible. You, you can't possibly predict it. Nor could you predict what we'll do that would remediate any warming um, because there are, there are a whole bunch of startups that have very promising and actually build things that can suck CO2 right out of the air. So in 80 years, if we've got a fusion reactor and a big-ass thing that just sucks the CO2 out of the air, Maybe that's all we need.
0: Let's hope so. Well, Scott, I, I know you are doing a, a whirlwind of interviews today, so uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time here. For the listeners out there, you don't want to fall behind. You don't want to be left out. Uh, you know, it's important for you. It's important for your family. It's important for your friends that you pick up, lose or think. You read it, read it twice, and uh, implement the the techniques that you're going to learn in the book. It's, it's, it's essential required reading. And I do not say that lightly.
1: Uh, thank you very much. And I would add that it's easy to read. So that that's what I tried to add to the process, trying to make it easy to absorb.
0: We appreciate it, Scott, making it easy for people, even dumb people like myself to be able to understand these techniques and implement them is truly game changing. And I look forward to seeing the effect that this book has on the, general population. I hope it goes, uh, I hope it exceeds all expectations. I hope everyone buys it.
1: Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you, Scott. Uh, truly appreciate it. And, uh, I'll be happy to promote anything you ever do in the future. I love all your, you know, your podcast, your Periscopes, the, uh, when app, all great stuff. Appreciate all the work that you do and uh, look forward to future projects. All
1: right. Thank you so much. Take
0: Thank care. you.